I know I'm prejudiced because I knew you pastor of this great church. But that was some pretty good worship. <laughs> it really was. You know, I, I was really coolly impressed that, like, David had, like, his iPad up here, you know, like, leading the worship off his iPad. And then, like, Josh came over and, like, he sang off his iPhone. And I said, okay, that's pretty cool. And, I, you know, I've got my iPad on the, on the stage, too. I'm just not going to preach from it because I'm not having much courage. Um, I want a piece of paper, you know, because paper doesn't, like, die in the middle of what you're trying to do. But I will read a passage of Scripture from my iPad. Kind of like, that's pretty good for an old guy, you know. It really is. We are so glad that you're here today. Thank you for coming. Wonderful crowd today. And you picked a good day to come if you're visiting Dorisville because we are beginning a new series that really is going to go off and on to about the middle of the summer. We are going to take a look um, at the book of James. And we're going to be there out three or four weeks. Then we're going to take a break. And then we're going to be there four or five or six weeks. Then we're going to take a break. And then we'll come back one more time in the summer and finish it up. Because James is probably one of the most practical books um, in the New Testament. It's really, really a cool, cool book. And so we're very excited about what God is going to do. And what God is doing, as Brother Brent said last week, has been incredible. The week before that has been incredible. And uh, our God is certainly good. And I certainly thank God for the great worship that we have. So I'm wondering, so you know, we preachers kind of get creative, you know. And so I said, okay, so what can we name this series? And I came up with the series title of Growing Up Jesus. Now, I'm not a big fan of TV, okay? And I have to confess that I've never watched this program before. And if I saw it right, it went off the air in 2005. It was on A&E, and it was a series entitled Growing Up Gotti. Did anybody ever watch it? Growing up, Gotti. It was a, no one watched it. Oh, this is a bad illustration, and it? it really is. Well, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a very good program. Um, but anyway, it was about um, John Gotti was the dad. He's a mobster, okay, a famous mobster, and his daughter Victoria. And the whole series was built upon what it was like to grow up in the Gotti household, okay, with her three sons. All right. And I am certain, uh, and, and I do know this much, I'm certain that that really tainted and influenced the way that she did life and her three boys did life. The, the impact of the Gotti name and the Gotti household formed and shaped the way that she was. And I, I got thinking, I said, you know what? We need to grow up in Jesus. We need to be growing up in Jesus. And just like Victoria Gotti was formulated by her dad in that household, so we should allow the teachings of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ to impact and form and shape the way that we are. And so hence, growing up Jesus. Now, who better to tell us about growing up with Jesus than a guy who happened to grow up with him? And that would be his half-brother named James, which, by the way, is very interesting. I learned this this morning. I found out that, that in the Greek, even, in the Greek, his name isn't James. It's Jacob. It's Jacob. And we're not sure why they translated Jacob into James. Um, one suggestion was that maybe King James in 1611 kind of like having his name in the book. And so changed it. We don't know that. Okay. But, but really, in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek, his name is Jacob, even instead of James. But James was the little brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had, we know some scripture, Jesus had several brothers and sisters, and James was one of them, okay? So let's go ahead and look at, real quick, let's look at James chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to divide the sermon sheet in half. We're going to talk about the first half this week and the second half next week, all right? And let's go ahead and look at James chapter 1, and here's what he says. He says, James, and then he says, 
a slave of God. Now, this is really cool. Now, if we were James, okay, okay, and, and we knew, there's two things we know about James, you saw it in the video. One is this, that James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, come on. Don't you name drop every once in a while. If you know someone, you know, like, for instance, um, when I call and deal with a car, you know, and if I'm doing a part or something, and I have to, you know, I, I'll say, hi, I'm, I'm Dwayne Taylor. I'm Rod Wallace's pastor. You know, because Rod owns a car dealership. If I need a part or something, I can get a discount if I use Rod's name. So I say, I'm, I'm, not, not, I'm just Dwayne Taylor. And not just I'm a pastor, but I'm the pastor of Rod Wallace that you do business with. And just like you treat him well, you should treat me well. So, so we would be name droppers. And James would come in. We'd expect James to go, hi, I'm James. And I'm the little brother of Jesus Christ. You'd expect that. But he didn't do it. And then, not only that. James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. So you can expect him to go, not only am I the half-brother of Jesus Christ, but I am the senior pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And he doesn't do that either. He that says, James, a slave. Really not trying to impress you, but the, the word slave there is doulos. And doulos is the word for slave, and more specifically, it's the word for bond slave. Now, you know what a bond slave was? Okay, here's the deal. In, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, if you were a slave, okay, and you earned your freedom, either the boss decided to cut you free, your master decided to cut you free, or you served a certain amount of time and your time was up, okay, you could walk. But here's the deal. If you had a wife and children, they didn't go free. They had to hang back. So it wasn't uncommon for a husband, particularly if the master was kind, it wasn't uncommon then for a person, a slave who would you know, served his time, to say, you know, he's not really that bad. I really like being with my family, so I think I'll stick around. And so what they do is they would take you and lean your head up to a beam, okay, a piece of wood, a door frame or something like that, and they would drive a nail through your earlobe. See, you guys, y'all thought this earring thing for men was like, you know, like new. Now, they were piercing ears a long time ago, okay? And so they would drive an awl, a small nail spike, through the lobe of your ear. And when people saw that, it said, not am I a slave, but I'm a slave who chose to be a slave. Okay? And that's how James, rather than the half-brother of Jesus, which he could have said... Rather than, I'm a big shot in the Jerusalem church, which he could have said, he instead says, my name is James, or Jacob, depending on which language you want to use, and, and I am a slave. That's really powerful. What he says next is even more incredible. He said, I'm a slave of God. In other words, the creator, Jehovah God, I willingly choose to submit myself to him. But then it gets huge. Look what he says. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is huge for like two reasons. He, he grew up with Jesus. I mean, we're not sure how much time lapsed between the birth of Jesus. We know Joseph did not know his wife until after Jesus was born. We know that. Okay? But sometime following the birth of Jesus Christ, 
Mary and Joseph started having children. Again, there were daughters and there were sons. And so James grew up in the same household with Jesus. He knew Jesus probably when he was three or four years old. And then James got a bit older and he watched his bigger brother. And, you know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine growing up with a perfect kid? I mean, some of y'all think, you know, well, first off, we know if you're the baby of the family, we know we're perfect. Judy and I both, I'm the baby of eight, she's the baby of nine, the rest of you guys are wannabes. Okay? If you're the baby of the family, you know, they say the best for last, practice makes perfect, okay? And we are really, really good. But, but literally, Jesus was perfect. And James grew up watching this perfect brother. But even with that said, let me ask you a question. What would your older brother have to do to prove to you he's God? I mean, you knew him when he was four. You knew him before he was potty trained, maybe. And what did, what did Jesus have to do to prove that to James that he's God? That's a pretty incredible thought if you think about it. I mean, it's one thing to see Jesus heal somebody and go, yeah, I believe he's the Son of God. But he knew Jesus when he was a little boy. And then 10 and 12 and 16 and 20 and 25 and finally had his public ministry at age 30. And guess what? James didn't buy it. When Jesus went public, you know, with his ministry, James wasn't a believer. He, 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 would, he would go around and follow Jesus. But we know from the book of Acts that James didn't buy into Jesus being the Son of God until after the resurrection. You know, there's something about when a guy is dead and comes back to life that changes your worldview. Can I have an amen? I mean, I mean this is incredible. The cross will never, it's, it's so incredible. But when you're dead and dead for three days, and, and a guy doesn't, like Lazarus, you know, a guy doesn't say, hey, Lazarus, come forth. I mean, you get up. By the power of God, you just come back to life. That's pretty powerful. And when James saw that, he became a follower of his big brother, Jesus Christ. But it's so incredible that he, as he reflects back over his childhood and puts it all together and said, you know what? I never saw him sin. I never saw him do anything wrong. And all of a sudden, all the pieces start fitting together, and he realizes that his big brother really is the Son of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, just, just imagine how powerful that is. And then he doesn't just say, hey, hey, uh, I'm a slave of, G- of God and Jesus. He lays it out there. He goes, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. That word Lord, you know what that means. It means boss. It means master. It means I submit to you. He says, as James, I recognize my big brother is the Lord of the universe. I, I understand that he is the boss and I am not. See, we wrestle with that. Even today, we wrestle. We love Jesus Christ as our ticket to heaven. But come on, can we be honest? That's really what this series is about. Can we be honest and say we wrestle with the Lord business? Because sometimes Jesus says, now listen, I know he wronged you. But you need to forgive him. He, as we're going to talk about next week, he'll send us through some very difficult times for a particular reason. And we wrestle with that. But James, the brother of Jesus, says, I recognize him as the boss. But I also recognize him as Jesus. You see that? A slave of God and Jesus Christ. James, who grew up with Jesus, realized God and Jesus were the same. 
that God and Jesus was God in the flesh. The incarnate. That's what Christmas is all about. That God became man. Come on. God became man and dwelt among us. He said, I recognize him as the boss, but I also need this and it's wild for me because I grew up with him. But my big brother is God. Now, I know some of you worship your big brother. But in this case, it was true. He said, I grew up with this guy and I know that he is God. But not only is he God, he's Christ. He's the anointed one. He, he's, a, he's the atoning lamb of God. He's the one that because he was submissive to his father, God, and died on a Roman cross because the wages of sin was death. I I was there. I saw that. I didn't understand at the time, but I saw that. But I recognize today, he would say, as I write this, that he is the Christ. He's the perfect lamb of God that died that we could have forgiveness of sins. He would say, I understand that I can do nothing Turn a right standing with God, but my big brother earned it for me because he was perfect. And he was God. And come on, isn't that incredible? Put yourself in the shoes. So James said, Man, man, I, I'm a slave. I'm, I'm a doulos. I'm a bond servant, a willing servant, a willing slave of God and my big brother. Because I know that God and Jesus are the same. He's not just a good teacher, He's not just a nice guy. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He really was God in the flesh. And I watched God die on a cross because the wages of sin was death. And he paid the price that I could have forgiveness of sins. That's pretty stinking incredible. And then he goes on and says this. James, a slave of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispensation. Now, now again, by this time, the Jewish tribes had just like scattered. I mean, you really couldn't point, there's one, there's one, there's one. They had all scattered. And the reason, the most logical and the most historically correct reasons why they scattered, he's writing to Jewish Christians, is because of the persecution. That's why he later says, count all joy when you come into all these temptations and trials. So he's writing to these, these dispersed Jews who, by the way, isn't it cool? God said, you're going to be my witnesses. So persecution came and they scattered like, a, like a, a flock of quail. And as they scattered, what they do? They told the story of a man who died on a Roman cross and three days later became life again. That's what they told the story. And as they scattered, okay, that this truth was spread just like Jesus said it would. These 12 tribes. And then he says, listen, welcome, greetings. It's really kind of unusual. He doesn't give the traditional Hebrew greeting. He, he just says greetings. It's usually shalom, peace. But he just says, welcome. We would say, hello, how are you? He gives this greeting. So this is the guy that can best tell us what does it mean to grow up Jesus because he grew up with Jesus and he grew up in Jesus. Now, Here's the deal. I I titled the message today, Trouble in Music City. Of course, that's a reference to the music man when they found out there was pool, okay, in in River City. Big trouble, okay. And there's trouble in Music City in the church. There's a problem. And I, I think it's rooted in this, that the average church person, that's us, we see Christianity... As a destination instead of a journey. We see Christianity as a destination rather than 
a journey. What do I mean by this? We, we make this commitment to Jesus Christ, okay? Again, that involves too many praying a prayer, but it's a, it's a commitment to Jesus Christ, okay? And then, if, if, we're, if we're pretty good, we, we proceed to add to that. We, we learn that we're supposed to go to church, okay? We learn other things along the way that we're supposed to, like, give money maybe or, or do certain things, okay? And then we learn we're supposed to keep the rules, okay? And, and that's it. And then when we, when we get down the fact that we've been saved and baptized and we start going to church pretty regularly, we see that as the de- we've arrived. It's the destination. To our scope of, this, of what Christianity looks like is someone who prayed a prayer, and I'm not making fun of that, who prayed a prayer who was baptized in some water, and who goes to church regularly and keeps the rules. Your relationship in Jesus Christ is so much bigger than that. But we've not been taught that. We've kind of settled into this destination thing. Check off one. Prayed the prayer. Became a believer. Check two. I've been baptized. Check check three. I go to church. Check four. I keep the rules. And you know what I'm finding out, it's starting to make sense to me finally, is that there's not a lot of joy in that. There really isn't. In fact, the more I learn about the rules, the more discouraged I get. It's because I can't keep them. I keep them for a while, but I don't keep them consistently. And the reason why is only one person ever kept the rules perfectly. And who was that? Jesus Christ. Another way of saying it is only one person Fully lived out the Christian life successfully. It was Jesus Christ. So the thought that we somehow can do that is false. But Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, can live it out through us. And that's what I hope will happen, not only this year, but I hope will happen as we study the book of James. Not a bunch of stuff we're supposed to be doing but allowing God to live that out through us because we can't and find the joy that comes when we finally grow up Jesus. Now, what I've done on your sermon sheet, I picked up about three scriptures. And one is from 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. One is from 1 Peter. And Pete, you know who Peter is, okay? He was one of the disciples. 1 Peter chapter 2. And then we'll come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then we'll be done today. All right. Now, here's what here's what Paul describes as trouble in in Music City. Okay, there's a problem. There's trouble in Music City. Now, now let me say this: Paul is writing to where? It's First Corinthians, so he's writing to the church at Corinth. That's right. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Now, Corinth was one of the most liberal, sinful places there was. Okay, and and some believers, some people got saved and became believers. And they started a church. And they wrestled with the culture that they lived in and being believers. Guess what? Just like we do. And the culture that we live in in America is so simple. Okay? And a lot of Christians wrestle with what it means to be a believer and how that plays out in our culture and in our church. So, Paul is speaking very bluntly and he says, here's the problem. He says, And I, brethren... Talking to brothers, to Christians, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, 
For now, until now, you are not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. He says, guys, now here's a church that was really wild about the spiritual gifts, who, who really was wild about those kind of things. But he says, guys, I've got to be honest with you. I, I want to give you some, some good food, but I can't do that. Because you're carnal, you're even as babes. And instead of growing up Jesus... You found that destination on the road, and you kind of stopped there. Uh, remember a guy named Peter Pan? You ever seen Peter Pan before? Yeah, you've seen the movie, like nine different variations of it. Okay, and here's, here's the mantra, here's the theme, here's the thought of Peter Pan. I only know these words, so don't ask me to sing more. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be a man. And that was Peter Pan. He had found a place called Never Never Land where he did not have to grow past a certain principle. And so he was happy at that destination and never wanted to grow up and be a man. And the problem in the church at Corinth was it was a church full of Peter Pans. They, they had been saved long enough to start understanding what it meant to grow up in Jesus. But they simply said, I'm comfortable where I am. I'm comfortable where I am. Like Peter Pan was comfortable in Never Never Land, so the believers in Corinth were happy where they were. It's really kind of cool. I did a little research on the Internet, and there's actually something called the Peter Pan Principle. And the guy that came up with this says this. He says, it may vary a little bit, but men reach their baseline maturation, their baseline maturity, Somewhere around the age of 12. In other words, men kind of, they don't peak, but they've retained a lot of their, gee, what is it when when you're a kid, like by the time you're four years old, you develop like 80% of your personality? Well, same thing with men. He says that men, somewhere around 12, 13, by the time they go through puberty, kind of level out in their maturation and their manhood. And, And the baseline stays there. They may go a little higher, but the baseline is there. They've reached the destination. And so many believers, not in Corinth, but so many believers in Western culture, they are believers, they have trusted Christ, they've been baptized, and they even do a pretty good job of somehow keeping the rules. But they've reached the destination and they're satisfied there. Now, he goes on and says this. Watch this. But you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you. Now, now notice what he says. The main line that you might be a Peter Pan or a church might be full of Peter's Pans is strife, envy, and division. Take a wag at what the church is known for in America. Strife, envy, and divisions. I don't know for certain, but i got a stinking suspicion The reason there are often First Baptist churches and Second Baptist churches and Third Baptist churches is because people could not get along. I'm all for church planning, but that does not mean God blesses division. People get a fight. They don't get what they want. They get mad and they leave. And so we'll we'll take our ball and go home. 
And, and if you look at that description that Paul writes in verse 3, and look where we are in America, and what the world says about the church, that we can't even get along with one another, so why would I want to join your club? Is it any wonder? Paul says the biggest sign of carnality is that we are Peter Pan's. We don't want to grow. We, we got this part. We're comfortable with this. We're comfortable that there's a day in my past that I prayed a prayer. We're comfortable that some preacher dumped me. Okay? We're comfortable that I've got the routine down that by and large I go to church and I, I may struggle with it, but I really try to keep the rules. But come on. There's got to be more than Christianity than that. And there is. And there is. So, bottom line, write this down. Your citizenship is not in Never Never Land. Your citizenship is not in Never Never Land. Your citizenship is in heaven. And God has put you on a journey, you see it on our walls, on both walls, a journey to grow up Jesus. Now, I'll tell you this for, from next week. How long does that journey last? Or for this week, how long does this journey last? A lifetime. A lifetime. You don't arrive. It's a journey to grow up Jesus. So that's the problem. Now, what's the path? What's the path? And this is when I get out the iPad. Okay, look at 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. It's on your sermon sheet. They'll have it up on the slide here in just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, I, I've told you this. When you see that word, therefore, it's very important. Okay? We've got to look back. In this particular case, it is just an amazing scripture. Okay? Here's, and, and this is a time, the reason I'm using this is not to be cool, is there are some times I just believe a different translation teaches the truth more clearly. And, and again, this is not one of my, I would not use this for in-depth Bible study, but the, the New Living Translation is a good translation uh, for that. And so, here's what it says. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You are cleansed from your sins when you obey the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Can I have an amen? The word of the Lord remains forever. And that word... The word of the Lord is the good news. It is the gospel, is the truth about Jesus Christ and us, is the good news that was once preached to you. Therefore, he says, laying aside all malice. Notice some of these words. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, the key part is this. Because of what I read to you off the iPad makes verse twenty, uh, verse 1 and through 3 possible. Because of the truth that Christ died and that we are in Christ 
And because he defeated sin and we enjoy that victory over sin through Christ, because of that, we can lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. It's not me going, I'm not going to speak evil. I'm not going to speak evil. Okay, I think I will. I'm not going to be envious. I'm just not going to be jealous of the new car. I'm just not going to. Okay, okay, okay. He got the parking place. It was mine. But I'm just not going to be malicious tomorrow. It's not us trying to keep the rules. You're going to hear this. I've got a stinking suspicion all through this year. If you are in Christ, if you, if you have become a believer in Jesus Christ and you're in Christ, because you're in Christ, you have died to sin like he died to sin. Amen? Romans chapter 6 and 7 teaches clearly. And because of that, sin is not my master. Would you say it with me, please? Sin is not my master, which means I have a choice. Now, before Jesus, I didn't have a choice. But now I have a choice. When I walk up to a situation of temptation, I have the chance to say, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That looks like sin to me. And sin is not my master. And, and through the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, I can walk away. Now, now, you're going to find out as you journey. Remember, you're not at a destination. See, the problem is you camp at a destination. But as you journey and you start learning to say, wait, whoa, 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 that looks like sin to me. Sin is not my master. Yeah, there are going to be some times you're going to go, so what, and walk on. But what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself going, hey, that's right. And you're going to find yourself walking away. Guys, when you see that woman at work that you can't keep your eyes off of, one day you're going to say, sin is not my master. And you're going to go, hey, that's right. You're going to walk away. That's not you doing it. It's not road habit. It is God working it out through you. And that's the beauty and the power of the gospel. That what I can't do, Christ can do through me. And that's the missing element in our churches. That's the missing element in our Christianity. We think we have to do it and we can't. Only Christ can. So, so when he says, therefore laying aside all that stuff, he's not saying you've got to do it. He says, let Christ do it. Through you. And he goes on and says this. Let me read verse 2 again. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He says the path to this is. Is reaching so you have an insaniable, okay, a real big appetite for the word of God. I'm not a big fan of milk. Milk is oatmeal cookies, ginger snap cookies, and peanut butter sandwiches. That's when I really like milk. Those are the three things. Oh, yeah, cereal. Water and cereal just does not work. Okay? But, but I do like milk and cereal and chocolate chip cookies, oatmeal milk cookies and ginger snap cookies and peanut butter sandwiches. But you give it to a baby. Did you know a baby really likes milk? I know Will, my little grandson, you know. I'm sitting there and, and, and Sarah's feeding him. I'm hearing, goo, goo, goo. I said, dude, he's after that milk. See, to him, milk is like steak and pecan pie and, and apple dumplings that we had last week for lunch, which were incredible. It's all that stuff. To a baby, milk is like mama. And Paul, Peter says the same way that a baby, she didn't drink milk because he has to. He craves it. The same way a baby craves milk, oh, the, journey, the Jesus journey. Grown Jesus is learning to crave the Word of God. The same way. And that is going to be an incredible thing. Because when you crave it, you start ingesting it and you start applying it 
through the power of Jesus Christ. And it is a game changer. All of a sudden, you don't see, you don't see this as a burden. You don't see this as trouble. You don't see this hard, something hard to swallow. All of a sudden you go, this is the word of God. And in it, I experience victory. Cool? I mean, it's incredible. It's just incredible. That is the path. Lay it aside. Realizing you have a choice not to sin because of Jesus Christ. And a hunger, an appetite for the wonderful word of God. And that leads us to the pinnacle. The goal. The mountaintop. The peak. says this. And little Dave, this came from your sermon. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. When I was Peter Pan, when I had leveled out in my maturation with Jesus... When I, when I lived a life that said, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be a man. When all of a sudden I reached out. Now, when I was there, I, I, I did. I, I was a child. I spoke like a child. I, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But I grew up. I grew up. Somewhere along the way. It wasn't me. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Somewhere along the journey. Jesus started flowing out of me. And I put away childish things and acted like a man. And that, brothers and sisters, is where the joy is. That's where the joy is. You don't have to be a rocket scientist, spiritually, to look around at church today and by the way, and I mean this, I don't know where you'd rank our church on the scale, but I want you to know your pastor, and I got a feeling our staff would agree, but I'll speak for me since I'm on the stage. Your pastor thinks this is a really incredible church. And it's not us. Don't you hear that? Some reason God is working in our church, in finances and decisions and testimonies. Some of the things we've been seeing the last three or four weeks, that, by the way, in case you're looking for a word for that, it's called revival. God is doing some tremendous, tremendous things in our midst. It's just, it's just incredible what he's doing. That happens when we put away childish things and we grow up Jesus. So over the coming weeks, sorry, next week with the second part of this message, we're going to start looking at what does that mean to grow up Jesus. Now, But now listen, and I'll try to remind you next week. That only works. James will only work if you understand you can't do it. You can't do it. Only God can do it living through you. And this is where, you know, gee, I have to bring up um, this, this thought we have from Sunday school. There's the real, there's the ideal, and there's a tension in between. We're, we're applying it to family in Sunday school. But the reality is, is that, will we fall tomorrow? Yeah, Maybe. She'll, she'll wear that certain dress that you like, Syrian at work, guys, and, and you'll look. Yep, you, you'll probably do that. But the ideal is, is that, guess what? One day, you won't even be tempted. 
It might be when you're 90, but you won't be tempted. Okay? But, but, but if you say, I'll never get there. I've had this problem all my life. I can't count the times I've done this sin. That will lead you to live in the real and just see a Peter Pan. Stop at the destination. I'll never be more than I am because I am what I am. That's what Popeye said. But there's a tension there. No, you'll never be perfect. But will you settle for that instead of striving for that? Will you settle for the real instead of striving for the ideal? Knowing that if you do fail, there's a God who loves you and forgives you. And I'm telling you, the destination to that is... We, if you want to be, y'all need a spiritual word? It's called sanctification. It's coming like Christ. It's growing up Jesus. That's the journey. All of a sudden you don't wake up and you're perfect because, again, no, there was only one person who could live the Christian life. That was Jesus. I'm going to rock your world. Hang on. There's only one perfect person. And it was Christ. I, I told somebody this week, I get to preach to 350 sinners every week. And I are one. If you're, if you're a sinner and you're looking for a church, welcome home. This is the place for you. It's incredible. So, what should we take home today? The first thing, if you're here today, and, and you may have like been involved in church all your life. I, I became a Christ follower when I was 21 years old. And I've been in church all my life. I sang in gospel groups. I did the whole nine yards. But when I was 21, I realized that I was trying to keep rules and trusting rules to save me. And I was failing, obviously. And that's when I met Jesus. October 26, 1975. I met Jesus. I, uh, cross didn't do it, but the guy who hung on the cross, Jesus, I realized that I had sinned. And I was totally depraved. I could bring nothing to the altar. Uh, I could bring nothing to God and say, here, God, this is why I should go to heaven. I had nothing. And um, so I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he was God in the flesh, and I believe he died that I could have forgiveness of sins. And I asked him to forgive me. And it happened that day, October 26, 1975. My sins were forgiven. I was baptized that night. But, like so many people, I got on the rule-keeping journey. And, and I found myself doing this all the time. You know? And I got a feeling, and I'm still in this process myself, that the more we understand that we can't do it, that only Christ can do it through us, and that sin is not our master, that there really is a choice, I've got a feeling there should be some joy there. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, listen, it's been, what, 20, 35, 36 years now for me, and it has been an incredible ride. I would not change, even with my shortcomings and failures, I would not change my choice to trust Jesus for all the gold and all the money in the world. Jesus is worth it all. And, and I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about right here, right now. The help I've got right here, right now is incredible. So I, I won't say the Baptist church. I just told you I thought we have a cool church. I'm not going to say that. But I will tell you this. That if you're here today and you've tried religion, you've tried being good, you've tried AA, you tried, you tried, you tried, you tried, why not come to Jesus? And let him do it through you. That's it. My brother Brent's going to be standing right down front here. And he'll show you. We've got some guys who'll pray with you. We'll take God's word and say, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. This is what it means. Okay? We won't, won't tell you what Dorsville thinks, what the Son Baptist thinks. We'll tell you what Jesus says. Okay? That's first. And second is this. And again, I'm not a hand raiser, so we're not going to do that. 
But how many of you would, now if you're honest, and I, and I, I would put me in this group, how many of you too often are just Peter Pan's? You know, you're, you're pretty comfortable where you are as a believer. Again, you know you've been saved, you know you've been baptized, and you've got the rule thing pretty good. You know, you've got it pretty good, and you're pretty comfortable where you are. You know? How many of you say, I'm Peter Pan's, and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute. I, 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 want, I, don't, I, I don't want to be a child. I don't want to speak as a child. I don't want to think like a child. I don't want to reason like a child. I don't want to become a man. I want to put aside childish things. Why not today? At this altar, that'd be cool. Right there we are. Say, okay, God, I've got to tell you, I don't fully understand all this. The preacher confessed he doesn't either. Okay? But God, I'm ready to get on the road. I'm ready to take a journey. I'm ready to leave the destination of Never Never Land and be in comfort there. And I'm ready to grow up in Jesus. Knowing that that's the life you've called me to. And knowing that's the abundant life you talked about. That's it. It's really cool is, if I'm speaking the truth to you, that doesn't mean you have to stop and quit and stop and quit and good luck and all that. That's what's really cool about this. You probably need to come to the conclusion that every time you sin, you've got a choice. And sin's not your master. You've got to reach that point. And then just watch what God does in your life. I heard the guy preach this, that, that, that thought. You know, he said, hey, what would you do this week? When you, when you see a sin there, whether it be lust or whatever it is, you know, just pause and go, sin's not my master. You may go ahead and do it. Go ahead and sin. But at least acknowledge, that's what? It's a choice I'm making. Sin is not my master. And then, just see what Jesus does. Amen? Just see what Jesus does. Let's pray. Well, Father, what an incredible privilege to teach your word today. Thank you for it. And we're excited about what James is going to say. We're excited, Father, because we already understand that we can't do it. That we don't have to show up and go, oh no, another failure, another guilt trip. We don't have to do that. Because we acknowledge that we can't. That it has to be you. I pray for my friend here today who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior. I, I know, Father, he's, he or she, they're, they're thinking about Christ and about Christianity. It's probably been twisted by us. But may they understand that you love them so much. And that you want to come into relationship with them through your son, Jesus Christ. Not to keep a bunch of rules, but to experience your amazing grace and the power that you offer through your death and resurrection. I pray for that. And God, for a whole bunch of us, may 2013 be the year that we grow. May 2013, whether we're 20 or 80, May 2013 be the year that we grow up in Jesus. Knowing all the ramifications of that. May we cash in and burn our certificate of citizenship to never, never land. And may we cash in and stamp our passport for heaven. Now, Holy Spirit, I know only you can make changes like this. Fancy words and a few jokes and a few laughs. That's not it. It's you, Holy Spirit. It's you, God. So I'm asking you right now.
draw men and women to yourself. Speak to our hearts. And Jesus, I pray this in your most precious name.